I'm excited to come back to the pulpit of uh, Open Door. Great men have stood on this pulpit and sometimes I feel inadequate to come and uh, stand here to proclaim God's word. But thank you, Dave, for honoring me with this opportunity for me to share God's word today. Turn with me to the book of uh, Mark, chapter 15. We read from verse 33 to 39. The book of Mark, chapter 15, we read verses 33 to 39. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sapakthani, which means my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he is calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on stick, and offered, him, offered it to Jesus to drink. Leave him alone now. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said, with a loud cry. Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. I'd like to share a message entitled, The Death of Jesus and the Power of the Cross the death of Jesus, and the power of the cross. The passage we have read covers the events of the last three hours before Jesus died. The last three hours. And they ran from 12 noon to 3 p.m. Jesus has been on the cross, and there are many people surrounding the, the cross. Some as Roman soldiers, Others are uh, people that are standing by that came to watch another execution by the Roman soldiers. Others are passers-by. They were, that was a public place. They were moving through that place and they see an execution taking place. I want to invite each one of you to, for us to join them in our minds. We'd like to, us to join them to observe and listen. To observe and listen. I would like us to be engaged in our minds. To be engaged with our emotions. To, to listen to them. To see what is going on. At 12 we are told. Suddenly darkness came over the whole land. This is not an eclipse. It is a supernatural act of God. That takes place at noon. At 3 p.m., we are told, he, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes the words of the psalmist in Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus is not only in great anguish, but he also feels abandoned by his father. 
And the anguish is not merely as a result of, of the nails that were pierced through his hands and feet. The pain is not merely physical. It is also spiritual. It is a pain and anguish in every sense of the word. He then issues a, a final loud cry and dies. He breathed his last, we are told. Nearby in the temple, someone must have observed something in the temple. The curtain that was separating the, the holy place from the holy of holies, it was a, a, a large curtain. It is torn into two from top to bottom. And someone must have run and said, this is what has happened in the temple. So as he breathed his last, this curtain was cut from the top to the bottom. The man who was in charge of the soldiers who were carrying out the execution has been looking at Jesus, has been observing what was going on. He has listened and heard the cry. And he confesses, surely this man was the son of God. That is the story. That took three hours. And, and you can see from the text, I'm not getting into the, the other, uh, what I'm considering small details. But that is the gist of the story. That is the gist of the story. But what does it mean? What does it mean? What is this all about? There are man. And the centurions, the, the Gentile, confesses he's the son of God. In Luke, he's called an innocent man who, never, who died for something he didn't do. What is this all about? To an ordinary person watching, this was a regular execution of a human being by Romans. This was no ordinary event. It was common. The Romans executed on the cross thieves, murderers, people who had committed treason. They were, they were crucified on the cross. And in a public place as a warning to people that might try later on. So for an ordinary person watching what was going on, this was an ordinary execution of a man. But as Aris's pro says, what was happening in that place and at that time was nothing, nothing less than the most momentous cosmic event imaginable. This was an event that had eternal consequences. This was an event that had a worldwide consequences. It was not just a, 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 a man being executed in a, an ordinary way. Something special was happening in this place. And the people have been pondering over the years, what exactly happened in this place? What exactly happened? Martin Luther is said to have gone into seclusion for a long time, trying to understand it. Unfortunately, he came away as confused as when he began. He didn't understand. What was going on in this place? What was going on? During these three hours, for us to understand what was happening, 
We should look elsewhere in scripture, especially the New Testament. The Gospels, the writers, Mark and the rest of the writers don't, don't explain it to us. They just narrate a story. But when you look elsewhere in scripture, you begin to understand what was going on. So, what is this about? Let me bring two points that I believe explain the meaning of this event. Then we look at the takeaway from this message. The first point that I believe explains what was going on is that in this cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, the justice and the love of God met. The justice and the love of God met at the same time. Justice because God who is holy and just cannot let sin go unpunished. Paul says the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel says the soul that sins shall surely die. So sin has consequences. And God who is holy and God who is just who has given us the law to follow cannot let this law be broken without consequences. So the wages of sin is death. And the death in this case is not, it's not physical death. It's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That is what the Bible teaches. Death is the eternal separation from God. Without God's presence, without God's love, without God's comfort, without God's strength. So this is, God cannot let sin go un un unpunished. And so he has to ex ex execute his, his judgment against sin. But love because God is loving. He does not want anyone to perish. So here is a holy and just God who cannot let sin get unpunished. But at the same time, he's a God who is loving who does, not anyone, who does not want anyone to perish. So by his character, God does not want to let sin go unpunished. And at the same time, he doesn't want anyone to perish. Doesn't that sound like a theological tension? I, I don't want you to go unpunished. I don't want you to die. So God resolves the apparent tension by providing a substitute. God resolves the apparent tension by providing a substitute. He's one and only son. He provided a substitute. He gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die in our place. To die in our place. During these three hours on the cross, there was a great transfer that, was, that took place during these three hours. God took all, all of our sins, the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future, and placed them upon his son, Jesus Christ. He transferred the sins of the whole world and placed them upon the substitute that he provided. And the substitute died for those sins. He paid the penalty for those sins. One day, John the Baptist was preaching 
And he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was a revelation from God to John. He didn't know that this Jesus was going to be the Lamb. And the idea behind the Lamb taking away this, the sin of the world is from the Old Testament temp temple sacrifice. The sinner would bring an animal and lay his hands on, on the animal and the animal would be released to take away the sin. But here was a lamb that was provided by God who was not taking the sin of one individual but taking away the sin of the whole world. So he, God took the sin of the whole world and put those sins upon Jesus, the lamb that he provided. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You get that again? The Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All our sins. Paul says, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So during these three hours, a transfer, a great transfer took place. All the sins of the world were placed upon Jesus as he hung on that cross. Then he paid the penalty for those sins. Instead of you paying the penalty for those sins, instead of me paying the penalty for those sins, he paid the penalty for those sins. During those three hours, Jesus experienced the fury of God against sin. As he was crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the fury of God that was visited upon his, his son. The wrath of God that was visited upon his son. It is the judgment against sin. The judgment that we were supposed to experience or go through, you and I. God provided a substitute. That was his son. He placed all our sins upon him. And he judged those sins upon Jesus Christ. It was dark. That darkness was the condemnation and judgment of sin. It was the judgment and condemnation of, of sin. That darkness which is in that place. And Jesus Christ. Someone has said, Jesus suffered hell for us. He suffered hell for us. Isaiah 53 verse 4 and 5 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Last time when I was here, I told you, don't take your sins lightly. They caused the Son of God to go to the cross. To die for them. 
We are told he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is what theologians call penal substitution. Penal substitution. The biblical doctrine of penal substitution holds that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross takes the place of the punishment we ought to suffer for our sins. As a result, God's justice is satisfied and those who accept Christ can be forgiven and reconciled with God. This was a penal substitution for you and for me and for every human being who has ever lived or will ever live. Why did he have to do, to do this? Why did he have to do it? Did he enjoy his son going through this kind of anguish? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He looked away. Why did he have to do that? Didn't he love his son infinitely? Didn't he care about his son Absolutely. Why did he have to let his son go through this? He was motivated by love. He was motivated by love. I told you at the, at the beginning of this point, at the cross, that is where we find the meeting of the justice of God and the love of God. The justice of God and the love of God. God was motivated by love in giving his son to down the cross to pay the penalty we are supposed to pay. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not perish, but have eternal life. First John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. Romans 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us. Not he demonstrated his life for us. He demonstrates his love for us now in the present. He demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Jesus or Christ died for us. That is love. Love for you and me. Regardless of what kind of sins you have committed and to what extent. That cross demonstrates the love of God. That one man God himself died so that you can be set free, so that I can be set free. Christ died for us. I don't want you to miss that. First John chapter 4 verse 10 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us 
and has sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. To atone is to, to, to satisfy the wrath of God. The one that was, that was aimed at you, another person takes it so that he stands away from you and from me. This is a story told about this Catholic father in communist Poland. He was in ministry there. Then the, the German overran it. And they were trying to get the Jewish people. So this man was hiding Jews in his, and, and many Christian believers hid the Jewish people. So he was discovered he was having the Jewish people in his, uh, in his, uh, in his home. He was arrested. There were other people that were arrested for the same reason. Others were arrested because they were believers. And others for other reasons. So they were in this concentra concentration camp. One day, Three of them escaped. Three of uh, the prisoners in this concentration camp escaped. So the, the commander of the place called all the prisoners together and they said, can you tell me how these prisoners escaped? And Hobart was willing to, to say, can you tell me how these people escaped? And no one was willing to say so he said, I will choose 10 of you and subject you to starvation until you die so that you can be a lesson to the rest of the prisoners. So he, they picked 10. And there was one man there. As they were being taken away, he cried, my wife, my children, my wife, my children. The Catholic father listened. The Catholic father listened. And those words went so deep into his heart. My wife, my children. My wife, my children. As, as, as they were being taken away to be killed. And the Catholic father was listening. This is a true story. This is not fiction. True story. Those words went so deep into this Catholic father. He, he, he stood up and ran after them and talked to the man in church and said, So, let me take the place of that man. Let me take the place of that man. That man has a wife and children. I'm a Catholic Father, and I, I'm not married, I don't have children. Let me take his place. The commander was shocked, but agreed. So they released the man with the wife and children, and they had the Catholic father killed. That is what Jesus did for us on the cross during those three hours. God loved us so much. That he didn't want us to die. He doesn't want us to die even now. 
He provided a substitute to take our place and to face the condemnation and judgment for us. That little phrase for us that appears many times in the passage we have, passages we have read and elsewhere in the Bible, for us, that means instead of us. That means in our place. The same way that Catholic father took the place of that man who had a wife and children is the way Jesus took our place. It was the love of God. It was the love of God. This man later on was asked to say what he thought about the Catholic father. He said, as they were going, as they were being taken away, he said, I could only thank him with my eyes as he was going. I was stunned and I could hardly grasp what was going on. The immensity of it. I, the condemned, am to live and someone else willingly and voluntarily offers his life for me. That is what the man was freed, said afterwards. Friend, don't, don't read this passage and just walk away. I want you to stop and think. What was going on on the cross during these three hours? When Jesus was, was going through anguish, was experiencing loneliness, not only and abandonment, what was going on? It was God who had provided a substitute for you and me. It was God who was pouring the cup of his wrath upon his son. Instead of pouring it upon you and upon me. And the motivation was love. Sacrificial love. Not these emotional things we talk about here. I love you. I love you. That is not it here. It was ultimate sacrifice. Death. Jesus died for you and me. So we're answering the question, what is this about? We have answered the first, we have used the first point. This was, this was the meeting place of the justice and the wrath of God. The justice of God, the wrath of God was satisfied. That was his judgment. Motivated by love. But there's something else that is going on here. The cross abolished the Old Testament system of worship. You remember that curtain in the, in the temple? That, that curtain kind of shielded God from, from public view. The high priest went there once a year when he sacrificed the animal of atonement. And outside were the priests conducting daily sacrifices, and out there were women and Gentiles. When Jesus cried and died, he condemned that place. 
That system was crushed completely. So that now all of us have access to God. It's no separation between high priest and the rest of the people, or a priest and the rest of the people, or a man and women, Jewish and Gentiles. The way to God is open. And that happened because of that cross. Jesus was sacrificed once and for all. No more sacrifices. No more separation. No more wars between Gentiles and Jewish people. No more between, uh, separation between men and women. All of us approach God on the basis of what happened on this cross on this day. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. A price was paid, yes. But when you think about what it means, it's beautiful. So what is the takeaway? This is not academic. This is not academic. This is real. You know, we can be in a place and just discuss what was going on, get some points, and move away. This is real. And it requires a response. It requires a response. So what is the takeaway? Let me quickly bring some points and then close. The first and the most important point, because of what happened on that cross, Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. When Peter was standing before the Sanhedrin, and he was uh, being challenged about a miracle that they did with John, he was being asked, Under whose authority do you do this? And Peter is saying, it is Jesus whom you crucified, who rose from the dead. It is through faith in his name that this miracle has taken place. But then he added something that is extremely important. He said, salvation is found in no one else. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only Savior in the entire universe. He's the only one we have been given. He died for the sins of the whole world. And therefore he qualifies to save us. I'm emphasizing this point because there are many that want us to, to say there are many ways to God. Why must Christianity be exclusive? It is exclusive because of what happened during those three hours. No man has paid the, the penalty for the sins of mankind. It is only Jesus. That is why he qualifies to be the only savior. Christianity is exclusive. Sometimes even those who, of us who come to church, we get confused. 
We say there might be some other way in India. There might be some other way in the Middle East. There might be some other way in Africa. There's no other way. One way. Jesus Christ who died on the cross is the only Savior. If you try to use another method, you may think you are saved, but you are not saved. It is only Jesus that gives salvation. The second takeaway is that to be saved, you must put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. God has done all the work. Your sins were included and my sins were included. He has done all the work. You receive salvation as a free gift because it's already paid for. That's what grace is. That's what grace is. You know, people think grace is easy to understand. It is not easy to understand. Because you think we, we understand, then we start, we start acting like we can buy salvation. We can buy forgiveness. We can buy acceptance from God. No, 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 no. We receive salvation free. Some think you have to belong to a particular church to be saved. Others think you need to be baptized and put it on a, on a, on a, a register of membership in a church to be saved. Others they think they have, must clean their act together. Make sure they have lived a pure life. Others go to visit places. Salvation is a free gift from God. Access through faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You receive it freely. As you must believe. You must believe in Jesus. You must believe. If you are here and you have not believed, I'm, I'm giving you a challenge. Jesus has done all the work. You receive what he paid for by connecting with him through faith. That's how you receive it. It may be available, but it cannot be your possession until you receive it. If I had $1,000 here and, and I stretched out to someone here in the congregation, they said, this is yours, I'm giving it to you. It's a gift. I've decided it's your gift. It cannot be yours until you have received it, isn't it? If you say no, it will still be in my hands. Jesus has paid the price for your salvation. So you, you reach out by, by faith. And acknowledge you're a sinner. And thank him for dying for, for those sins. And receive him into your heart as Savior. That is all you do. You can, you can say, Pastor, are you making it so cheap and so easy? Yes, it is easy. Because the price has been paid during those three hours we are studying about. The price has been paid. You just receive it. This, this idea of faith, and I'm going to close. This idea of faith is very important. I want you to listen to me carefully. There's a story in the Old Testament about when 
the Israelites sinned against God. They actually complained. It is in Numbers chapter 21. The Israelites complained against God. And God, as a punishment, he brought snakes to bite them. And many of them were killed. Then they cried to God and said, we have sinned against you, Lord, forgive us. God, Moses prayed to God and God told Moses, make a bronze neck and lift it up on a pole. Whoever looks at it will live. I want you to listen carefully. We're talking about faith. Whoever looks at it will, will, will live. Not whoever is bitten by the snake tries to get a stick to kill it or gets uh, anti-poison to treat himself. All you needed to do is to look to the snake that has been lifted up. To those of us who have been sophisticated by modernity, we say that is useless. That is foolishness. But the things of faith may look Foolish. But that is what God, that is the way God has chosen to bring healing to us. He does, because we cannot save ourselves, he wants us to look to him. So he says, whoever is bitten by the snake, you look to the bronze snake that has been lifted up on a pole. Jesus, when he came, this is what he said. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. That snake in the wilderness during uh, Moses' time was foreshadowing the coming of Jesus and dying on the cross. And, and that looking, you don't do anything if you have been bitten by the snake and the sin is poisonous. You look to that, that, that bronze snake. And in the New Testament, after Jesus' death on the cross, we look to him who hung on the cross for us. And that is faith. That's faith. Jesus is the only Savior. And we are saved by faith in him and what he did on the cross. We receive the free gift. Let me talk to those of you who are so condemned and so guilty by what you've done in the past. The enemy has continued tormenting you. The enemy has continued tormenting you. And every time he's reminding you of what you did in the past. A weight. There's a weight in your heart. Nobody knows. But you yourself knows. If you know Jesus as your personal savior, those sins have been, have been removed. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. Listen, God took your sins and placed them upon your son, his son Jesus. When you believed in Jesus, he took the perfect righteousness of his son and placed it upon you. That righteousness is covering you. Remind the enemy. When he's trying to remind you of the past. 
remind you him of the things God has done for you. He has given his perfect righteousness in your account. Your sins were taken by Jesus. So that now you, you need to confess it. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm freed. I'm a child of God. My past is erased. If you try to remind God of those things you did, he will tell you, I don't remember them. Because they have been crushed and, and taken away. Lastly, let's not try to revive what has been abolished. Let's not try to revive what has been abolished. That Old Testament system of worship was taken away. Huh? I don't know about the U.S. If you go, back, if you go to Africa and Nairobi, you'll see strange things there. Strange things there. People that, be, that just want to go back to the Old Testament and wear long clothes, you know, like those, those priests, and, 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 and have long beard. and They want to practice the faith of the Old Testament. They want to bring back the separation that was there in the temple. But the cross has abolished that. We are priests. Each one of us are priests. That's what the New Testament says. We are a kingdom of priests. We have access to God through Jesus Christ who died for us. Let's not try to revive that. Discrimination between men and women, between Jews and Gentiles, between those who have and those who don't have, those things have been abolished by the cross. Been abolished by the cross. Thank God for the cross. Yes, he cries. It was painful, but it was for me and for you. Amen. Like us to close our eyes. I uh, don't know if... Um, why don't we stand? Let's just stand if you are able to stand. Let's just stand. I've been speaking for a long time. Just close your eyes and think about what we have said. And I know the Holy Spirit speaks in, in ways that I will never understand. If you are here and you are saying, Pastor, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never put my trust in the one that died for me. It has never happened. I come to church or, or, or you, you wandered into this congregation today. I'm encouraging you to, to put your faith in Jesus today. Maybe, maybe you were saved at one time and fell away and you're doing all kinds of things and you're wondering if you can be accepted back. I want you to look to the cross, to the one that paid the price for those sins you have committed. Maybe you are so overwhelmed by guilt because of what you have done before.
want you to look to the cross. I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Dave to come and if, if you are here and you want to lift up your hand and you say, please, Pastor, pray, pray for me. Just lift up your hand. The Pastor Dave will come and, and pray for you. I will. I'll pray for you. Yeah. I can't even pretend to see everybody in here. Lord, you do. Meet us all where we're at in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Um, we're going to respond this way. I'm going to give an opportunity for those of you that, um, if you do need to move from here, because I get, I, I see the time to do that, but I also want to take a moment to respond um, together as a church family. So here's what comes to mind. One, the idea, the, the, all the debates in our culture around atonement theory and eternal punishment and hell and, and all that kind of stuff sometimes can consume our minds trying to figure out all of what actually happened on the cross. And so I feel compelled, you know, it's like it, the struggle's like trying to fit the ocean into our brain. Um, so I, I feel compelled to, in this moment, just say this, Jesus died for you out of love to set you free from all the powers of darkness, sin and death. And so in Hebrews where it says we can approach the throne of grace and boldly and come with confidence and receive mercy in our time of need, we're gonna do that together today. For those of you who are putting your faith in Jesus maybe for the first time, well, this, you can borrow the words of the song we're gonna sing. It's called I Speak Jesus. Um, for those of you who just, I'm just gonna invite everyone else just to come boldly to the throne of grace. In fact, here's what we're gonna do. I wanna invite you to, we have a very multi-generational church family, which I absolutely love. So we're gonna spend a little bit of time singing this for your generation, and then in a little bit, we're gonna turn it and we're gonna sing a few lines of this song for another generation in your life, right? So when we start singing, if you have to go, feel free to do that. Um, but we're gonna approach the throne of grace boldly today as we lift up this song together and pray it over the generations that we represent. So here's what I'm gonna do, because sometimes I just, we're so spread around the room and I just wanna hang out. I'm gonna be down here just for the sake of fun, nothing spiritual. If anybody wants to come and hang out with me and worship with me, come down, no pressure. But let's right now, um, let me just pray for us and then we'll just sing together. Lord, we're here and we love you and we just thank you that our love is a result of you first loving us. So we come boldly to your throne of grace and we pray, we pray your name over the generations in this room and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.